You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is a beautiful day, and we are in the third Sunday, finish up the second week of the fast. I hope you're doing well. I'm seeing a lot of skinny people in here. Not physically, but I mean skinny as far as time, because a lot of you just fasted social media. I realize that. Um, I'm kidding. You look beautiful. You're wonderful people. Come on. Live a little. Uh, And so we're on the third week. We're going to close it up next week for our fourth Sunday. And we are going to be looking at the prophet Jonah today. So if you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to look at the prophet Jonah. Trust me, you're going to want a Bible for this one, because you're going to want to make sure, especially with this story, that there are certain parts of it that I'm not making up. Uh, the life of Jonah, you might be sitting there going, there's no way it says that. It does, and you'll, you'll want to you'll see for yourself. Um, I've often asked when you're here, why did you come this morning? What is it you want? What is it you expect when you come to church, right? And I'll hear, to worship the Lord, uh, to pray, to mingle with people, to have fun, right? All this all this stuff. Usually it's not to have fun. No one has fun at church, but it's the other stuff, to worship the Lord and be in his presence. And so my question isn't about why you're here today. I have a different question. My question for you is this. What are you going to do with what you hear today? What are you going to do? And I want that question to be in your mind as we go, because today's sermon, we're in fast, pray, go, requires action. It requires action from every person in here because God, his spirit, his presence is here on this place right now. God's presence is here and he is speaking and so he's talking to you and my question is, what are you going to do with what you hear today? There's an actionable item today. This is not just a sermon to feel good or be like, that was fascinating, I'll chalk it away to my knowledge bank as interesting knowledge. No, no. Today is all about going and doing something, so that's my prayer for you. And so let's look at the life of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. In fact, Jonah, it's a small book, but it's so full of wisdom. God really uses Jonah's life in a way to teach generations after generations who he is and what not to do and some of what to do and gives us a roadmap. So what we're going to do is at the end of Fast Pray Go, starting in February, we're going to continue in the book of Jonah and studying his life. So we're going to look at chapter one today and then move on to some incredible life lessons that Jonah gives you. You ever feel like you're somebody who God uses to teach other people what not to do? You look back at your life and you're like, man, there's so many wrong decisions I've made. I hope other people are seeing this and they can learn what not to do. Well, that's Jonah. Jonah's sort of those, here's what not to do, but man, it helped. I'm so glad that he lived because he really gives me a clear picture. So let's look at this. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord said to Jonah, son of Amittai, go immediately to Nineveh. Is that clear? Is that a clear statement? Sometimes we're like, God, you're being so... Oh, you speak in riddles and visions and dreams. And Jesus spoke in parables, right? And the disciples were always like, oh, what's he mean? Why, is he, why must he speak in parables? Why does he have to use these riddles to teach us a lesson? God's like, because I spoke to you directly to your forefathers, and they still didn't listen to me. Go 
immediately to Nineveh. Do not wait, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Immediately. It is that large capital city and announced judgment against its people because their wickedness has come to my attention. <laughs> okay, okay. Not only am I supposed to go to Nineveh, which, by the way, let's, let's have some history and some fun here. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians at the time are the biggest, the baddest, the absolute most wretched, meanest civilization that maybe ever lived or at least was around at the time. They didn't come and take over your territory like Rome did at one point and say, hey, we'd like you to be a part of us, and if you didn't listen, then they took it by force. They just came to your territory killed you, killed your children, killed your women, burned things to the ground, and then just took it. They just were a completely genocidal, homicidal, crazy group of people, the Assyrians. Nineveh is their capital. And God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, their wickedness has come to my attention, so I want you to go and preach against what they are doing and tell them to repent or I'm going to kill them all. Remember when I said it's no fun to be a prophet? Right? Which is why it's, it, it's funny to me that, uh, I mean, again, it's the difference between an office of a prophet and the gift of prophecy, but so many prophecies are positive stuff. Like, God's got good things in your future. The color yellow is your color. This No, this is a prophecy, right? Like, if anybody in here, is anybody hearing this word? I'm just going to put this out there. God wants you to go to Somalia or Afghanistan, stand in the city square and pronounce judgment on those people and do it in the name of the Lord. Anybody being called to that right now? Right? This is the, this is the exact level. He has to go into a place like that and not just say, stop what you're doing, it's not nice, but tell them that God is going to destroy you in 40 days if you don't. Does that help give you some background to it, some interesting? That, that helps us understand verse 3, okay? Verse 3 says, instead, <laughs> Jonah immediately headed off to Tarshish to escape from the commission of the Lord. He traveled to Joppa, found a merchant ship heading to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went aboard it to go with them far away from the Lord. Ah, I love that. Somehow in Jonah's mind, he thought to himself, God's in Nineveh, so I'm going to go where God isn't, which is Tarshish. Not thinking clear here, Jonah. But it's also interesting that if you look at a map, uh, Nineveh is in modern-day Iran, and Tarshish is in Spain, essentially, Italy. And so it is, if you look on the map again, where he was at, in the complete opposite direction of where he was told to go. It's funny. He didn't just pick anywhere else to go that wasn't Nineveh. He went completely the other way, far away from the Lord. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind on the sea. Such a violent tempest arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break up. The sailors were so afraid that each cried out to his own God, and they flung the ship's cargo overboard to make the ship lighter. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold below deck, had laid down, and was sound asleep. Just like that guy. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Um, sound asleep in the middle of a storm on the sea. How is that even possible? You know, the Bible talks about one other guy who was sound asleep during a storm on the sea. 
You know who that was? Jesus. That's weird. Is Jonah sort of like a picture of what's to come of Jesus? I don't know. Jesus talks about him in Matthew 12. We'll get to that. But if you want to bookmark Matthew 12. So here's Jonah, asleep at the bottom of the sea. All of these sailors are crying out to their God. Oh, Aphrodite, Zeus, help us. And they're throwing stuff overboard. Nothing's happening. And Judah's just, Jonah is sawing logs down beneath deck, completely at peace. Here's one interesting thing we see about this right off the bat. You do not sleep in the middle of the storm if you are anxious or worried about something, right? You don't sleep, period, if you're full of anxiety or you're worried or there's an outcome of a future event that you don't know what to do with. So Jonah has not only completely disobeyed the Lord, but he is at complete peace in his mind about his decision. He has justified and rationalized his decision to go in the opposite direction of God's call because he understands that God doesn't quite have it right this time. You know, God, you've been good. You've been a good God. I've been a prophet of yours. I've given words of yours before. But this time, this time, I think it would be better that we just let the 40 days pass. Let's just let the 40 days pass and let's let the Ninevites and the Assyrian people get what's coming to them. So I'm gonna go as far away as possible so I don't have to deliver this word. Because here's the thing, when God said that he wants him to go and he wants them to announce judgment against, you hear that? He wants to announce judgment against Nineveh. Jonah knows what that means. He knows that it does not mean that God is actually against Nineveh yet, but that he is for Nineveh. Because if God was already against Nineveh, he doesn't need to send a prophet to destroy him. He would just wipe them out. And Jonah's like, oh, crud. You want to give them a chance to repent. You want to give them a chance to come and, and give grace and pour out mercy on them. No, they have killed probably brothers, sisters, cousins, friends of his. What they would do was disgusting. They would take babies and children and stick them on a spike and then place it in the ground of the places they had conquered. You can't give mercy to people like that, God. So I'm going to help you out. I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to let the time pass. I'm going to get a ship. And then I won't have to go and you can just smite them at the end of 40 days. Okay? And he is so okay with this decision that he has just passed out asleep. No anxiety, no worry. He is fully justified in his mind. Verse 6. The ship's captain approached him and said, What are you doing asleep? Get up! Cry out to your God. Perhaps your God might take notice of us so that we might not die. Ship's captain comes down, sees this guy just passed out, right? Everyone else is running around frantic, and then like praising their gods and doing whatever they can. Jonah's asleep. He's like, hey, buddy, do you have a God? Could you pray to it? None of our gods are working. We don't want to die out here. And the sailors said to one another, let's cast lots. It's got to be one of our faults why this storm has risen up. This isn't a normal storm. Storms like this don't normally happen in the past that they were going through. So someone on here has, has ticked off their God. So let's cast lots and we'll see who it is. So they do it. They cast lots. And guess what? Jonah was the one who was singled out. That would have been easy to figure out. It was the guy who was sleeping 
when we were all freaking out. They said to him, tell us whose fault is it that this disaster has overtaken us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Who are your people? I love the questions. Tell us everything about you because we are about to die out here and we think it's your fault. So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Hearing this, the men became even more afraid and said to him, what have you done? What have you done? Because they knew that he was trying to escape the Lord because Jonah had previously told them. Hey guys, God told me to go to Nineveh, but I got on this boat to uh, Tarshish because there is no way I'm going to Nineveh. And at first they were like, cool man, that's cool. We don't like Nineveh either. They kill people there. And now they're like, hey, because the storm was growing worse and worse, they said to him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? <laughs> and he tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea to make it quiet. Now, I was raised on Monty Python movies, and this is just a scene that I picture, right? Jonah's standing there, and they just come and get him, and they're all walking, <laughs> and just throw him over into the water. And I just picture Monty Python killing that scene. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will quiet down because it's my fault you are in this storm. But instead, they try to row back to land because they were not able to do so because the storm actually got worse. We don't want to kill you, man, because then your blood's on our hands. We don't want to do that to you. We don't want to be responsible for your death. If we throw you overboard in this storm, you're not going to swim to safety. You are going to drown. It is too violent of waters for you to survive. So they try getting him back, and they cry out as the storm gets worse. Oh, please, Lord, don't let us die on account of this man. Don't hold us guilty of shedding innocent blood. After all, Lord, you have done just as you pleased. I love this. All of a sudden, these unbelievers became real Christian, didn't they? Oh, Lord, you have done as you've pleased. And they say the right things, and they're like, so we're going to go ahead and kill him, but just remember, this is your doing. Don't be mad at us, O Hebrew God, Yahweh. So they picked Jonah up, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. The men feared the Lord greatly, and they earnestly vowed to offer lavish sacrifices to the Lord. Verse 17, or two, chapter 2, verse 1, depending on your Bible's translation, says this. And this is where you want to make sure I'm telling the truth. The Lord sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's talk about it here and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, help us. Help us to see what it is in Jonah's life that he was missing. Help us to see God in our own lives where we're missing it as well. May we run to you, Lord, and not from you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Jonah, it's a simple story, right? The whole book is pretty much about man running away from God and God's pursuit of man. You hear that? The whole story of all the stories of Jonah and all the lessons of Jonah are wrapped up in that single statement about man running from God and God's pursuit after him. He doesn't leave him. He doesn't say good riddance. He doesn't say, fine, come back to me when you get better or smarter. He pursues after the heart of man. Essentially, 
That's what sin is. It's running away from God. And grace, grace is God's effort to pursue after you. Do you ever think about it like that? Do you ever think that grace was literally God pursuing after you? If you've got children and your child has done something wrong, as mine did this weekend, and you don't punish them horribly for it, you are showing them grace. You only punish them mildly, but they deserved horrible punishment. You know what I'm talking about. You look in the eyes of your child and you're like, and you show grace and you give them a small punishment. My son (laughs) broke something this weekend, lied about it, and then came back to me and told me the truth, right? With the tail between his legs, eyes down. And it was so funny because I could see the repentance in his heart. I could see he was repentant. He knew what he did was wrong. And in that moment, it was this feeling, this grace flooded over me. He understands what he's done. He doesn't need more punishment there. There needs to be an understanding that there's consequences, but there doesn't need to be punishment. The punishment's already existed. His heart is repentant. And so he's like, Dad, are we going to have that talk? And I'm like, no, we don't need to have another talk. I I hear you, and and we'll deal with it. Um, So I'm I'm not in trouble. No, I mean, you're not in trouble. So you're not going to yell at me? When do I ever yell at you? Right? (laughs) Right there. Extending grace. Extending grace, pursuing after his heart. Rather than yelling at the infraction, you pursue after the heart, and you ex- I extended grace because I care more about my relationship with him and his understanding of the fault than I do about the punishing him. And this is how God loves you. That's how God loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that when you run from the call, that when you run from the thing, go immediately to do this, and you run in the opposite direction. God loves you so much that like Jonah, he will send or allow a storm to enter your life because he cares so stinking much about you. He's not gonna let you sleep comfortably. He's not gonna let you sleep in peace. See, there's a beautiful illustration here of how sin works. You see, God told Jonah what to do. Jonah gets on a boat. He has time to go to Joppa, rent a boat, get on the boat, then go to sleep, and nothing bad happened. God told him what to do, and all of this time passed between anything bad happening. Isn't that how sin works? So often we'll do something that we know we shouldn't, and we sort of look around, and we're like, oh, I'm still alive. I have not been smitten. God, did, you did not smite me, almighty smiter. You have not taken my life. Nobody knows about what I've done. The search history's been cleared. Everything is fine. When we sin, sin's consequences are not often like a bullet. It's much more like radioactive energy. It eats you out from the inside. Before you know it, you're sick. And that's what's happened to Jonah. Jonah sinned, Jonah went in the opposite direction. He thought he was going to do God a solid and just go ahead and let him smite the Ninevites. And here he is, and now the storm has come. The storm has come on his life, his grace to his life. You see, if he continues to run, if he continues to go in the opposite direction of what God calls him, the storm is going to kill him. It's going to take him out. But the purpose of the storm is not there to kill him. 
The purpose of the storm was get him to do what? Wake up. Wake up. Where are you going, Jonah? What are you doing? And you know, it's fascinating because he says to himself, throw me, I mean, he says to the sailors, throw me overboard. Even if I die, that would be better than having to go to Nineveh and give those people a chance to repent. I'm going to take one for the team, Israel. I don't think God can allow them to repent without me. He clearly thought too much of himself. And so he said to them, throw me overboard. I would rather die in this water than go and preach repentance to the Ninevites. You ever thought about that? I never thought about that. I grew up with this story literally on flannel graphs and the books, and I used to draw the pictures uh, in my senior year in high school in class and youth group, you know, of the well with Jonah inside. And you did all that, and I never thought about that. Jonah was willing to die, and that sounds so noble. He's willing to die for his cause. He's willing to, to give his life so that his people, Israel, might be spared from these, this horrible genocidal country. And it, there's a word for that. Paul actually talks about it. The word is self-righteousness. Self-righteous. He was willing to die for a cause that was not the Lord's, but it was his. And he was self-righteous. So self-righteous that he was able to sleep in the midst of the storm. So self-righteous that he had no anxiety, no worry, no panic in him, even though he was in direct disobedience to God. Can I stop talking about Jonah for a minute and just let that statement go for you and me? So self-righteous, we have convinced ourselves that even though we're in opposition to the Lord, we're in no place of wrongdoing. And we sleep well at night. We eat well. Life is comfortable. Here's the thing about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness always takes a look at you and says, whatever is good for me, whatever is good for my clan, my family, my people, I will look down on, I will belittle, or I will turn my nose to anything that opposes it. And you see, if the Ninevite people were given a chance to repent, that opposed Israel's safety. So what is it in your life? You know what racism is? Racism is literally just looking down on another group of people because it makes you feel bigger. It makes you feel better. You don't understand their culture, you don't understand their ways, and so rather than try to understand it or try to understand them, you just look down on it and we say that it's like, it's stupid. The way they do parties, that's stupid. Their music is stupid. Their cultural uh, identities, it's dumb. And that's what racism is, and that's what bigotry is. Is it's man looking down its nose at another culture and saying, my way is better, it's self-righteous. In fact, there's actually more than just that way to be uh, self-righteous, though, because then what you can do is you can be somebody who's not a bigot, not a racist, and you can look at the bigots and the racists, and you can go, I'm not that way. I love everybody. I'm tolerant of everybody. And you're a self-righteous person towards the bigots. There's more. You could be somebody who grew up with struggle in your life and pain and in the foster system and parents who didn't love you and you had death and health problems your whole life and here you are, you've risen above it and now you're at a place where you've got a great job and money and a home and a family and you look at all those people who just basically had a silver spoon in their mouth. 
And you look at all those people who just had life together and you look at them and say, well, of course they did. They didn't have to go through what I went through. And you're self-righteous. You could be somebody who had, was given everything, had a great family, great college, great career. And you look at the masses and the poor and you see them on the sidewalks and you see them in your neighborhood and you say, gosh, what have they done to our neighborhood? Self-righteous. God said, that is not my spirit. And I will send storms to chase it out of you. That is not my people. My people will not treat one another this way. And I love them too much to let them do it, so I'm going to send storms into their life. And here's the thing about a storm. We often look at storms as a negative thing, especially the big ones that we give names to, right? The hurricanes. And they come and they attack these coastal towns along the beaches. Here's the thing about people who live in beach communities. And if you have a beach house, first of all, I like your number. Secondly, don't take offense to this. But if you live in a beach house and you get angry when a storm destroys your house and all of your valuables and your keepsakes and what you had in it, it's kind of your fault. You built a home on the beach, on sand, next to water, where the storms come in. What did you expect? And it's funny because we look at it and we, we, we call, we think of the storm as evil because it killed all these people and it destroyed billions of dollars worth of stuff, but the storm is not evil nor is it good. It's just a storm. It's just doing what is natural to it. We're the ones who built our homes on the beaches. We're the ones who put our trust and our faith into the things. All the storm does is it reveals where your heart is. It reveals what's important to you. That's what storms do. They reveal what is important. Storms are neither evil nor good. So the question then is, if God is going to send a storm into my life to help rid me of my self-righteousness, what then is your and I's response? How do I respond? That's why today I said at the beginning, not what am I going to learn today, what am I going to do when I leave today? Because here's the thing. Jonah could not go to Nineveh and preach grace and repentance because he had not yet experienced grace and repentance. So how are you going to preach to a people about grace? How are you going to preach to them about repenting? So God wants to cure him of this. <laughs> God wants to cure him of this idea that, he, uh, that he's got a better way than God for working out the Ninevites' fate. And so God sends this storm. The people throw him overboard. And in the midst of the natural consequence, a storm, in the midst of the storm, which is not a miracle in and of itself, it's just a storm, God sends the fish. God sends the fish to keep Jonah from drowning. And Jonah has time inside that fish to think, <laughs> three days to be exact. And it's funny, you know, there's actually Christian commentators who have tried to make this a more palatable story by saying that what actually happened here and what we can uh, deduce is that Jonah swam to shore and went to an inn called the fish. And when he was in the inn called the fish, he wrote out this prayer. Sure. Maybe. 
Maybe, and, and the Virgin Mary probably just, you know, hung out with Joseph too much. And, um, <laughs> that doesn't work. Because you've got to understand that it's God's intervention in the storm that is the miracle. And Jonah's life, as I said earlier, is a representation and a picture of what Jesus was going to do. In fact, Jesus brings our good young man Jonah up in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, look at it. Jesus Christ says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment. Who, who will stand up at the judgment? Who? Who? Go ahead. The men of where? Nineveh. The murderers, the child killers, the pillagers, they're going to stand up on the day of judgment with the generation that Christ was with, and they will condemn it. What? what? Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but one who is greater than Jonah is now standing before you, and you do not repent. So he is speaking to essentially to help make this modern for you, us, the Christians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious men and women. And he says, remember the Ninevites? Yeah, we remember them. We remember what they did to our people and the history and who they were and what our prophet Jonah did to them. Yeah, they will stand and they will judge you. They will judge you, you so-called Christians. Because when the, my word came to them through the prophet Jonah, they repented and turned. And yet one stands before you, me, Jesus, and you neither repent nor turn from your ways. Whew. Man, and they still didn't get it. And they still didn't see the connection. So here's the thing. What God is trying to show you is that you are not Lord of your beach. You are not Lord of the storm. You're not the God. You're not the one who knows. And you're not even supposed to be competent enough to decide what's right and wrong for you. God says, let me do that. Let me do that. Extend your hand. Take my grace. You see, God sent the fish to keep Jonah from drowning because God knew that there would be a time that he would send his son and upon his son, the full wrath would come, and there would be no fish to save him. There would be no out. Like Isaac's son, Isaiah, I mean Abraham's son, Isaac, there would be no ram caught in the thicket for his son. No, his son would bear the full brunt of the wrath of God so that you and I can extend our hands and receive his grace. Isn't that amazing? But here's, here's what we do with grace, and I'm going to close here with this. This is what we do with grace. We often take the grace of God, this, this gift of God, and we look at it like as if someone gave us the keys to a $30 million estate. And you think, where is there a $30 million estate? Glad you asked. I was talking with a pastor friend earlier this week, and he knows the guy who bought Tyler Perry's house in Buckhead, Georgia. It is a $30 million estate. Uh, you know Tyler Perry, the Medea guy? It's just this insanely massive, lavish, and you can go on Google and look at it. Not now, obviously, but it's uh, gorgeous. $30 million. Bought it at a steal for $17.5 million. 
And so I picture and I look at all these pictures and he's been there, this pastor's been there because he's friends with him and he says it's just incredible. Imagine being handed the keys to that and said, here you go. This is yours, enjoy it. Live there, no taxes, no nothing. All the maintenance is paid for. But because you're so self-righteous, because you're embarrassed by receiving a gift like that and, and you don't want to... Uh, look as though you need charity, you pull out, you're like, no, 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 no. You pull out 40 bucks and you hand it to him and you go, there, now we're even. There, now I've paid for it. Did you though? I mean, did you? You haven't paid for anything. You haven't even come close to covering a blade of grass on the property. That's what we do. That is what we do with God's grace. God extends his grace freely and we take it and say, okay, 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 uh, I'll, I'm going to earn it through this, and I'm going to earn it through that. And he's like, no, 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 no. You can't earn my grace. I already earned it. My son earned it. You just receive it. And that's what Jonah had to learn three days in the belly of that fish. And that's what he had to understand about God is the grace to come and save his life. That he might go and teach the same principle to the Ninevites. Because here's the thing. The purpose of the storm is to wake you up, to bring you to repentance. To bring you to repentance. If you have someone you love, and I went and visited my 93-year-old grandma yesterday who's in a hospice home right now, and she is a very racist, hateful person. And unfortunately, in the last couple of years, her uh, dementia has removed any filters that she had before. And she didn't have many. But they're all gone now. And this place is run by this Russian guy. And, he, and there are uh, black hel uh, helpers and assistants in there. And my parents have just told me stories that is so embarrassing of how she treats them and what she's said. And yet, when I went and saw her yesterday, she was laid out and asleep, and she's had this whole thrombosis thing with her legs, and she doesn't have many more days to live. But the guy who she has cursed and made fun of and demeaned was there wrapping her bandages, taking care of her, and making sure she ate so she would be well. Because he loves her enough and has grace on her, even though she's spat in his face. Friends, God loves you that much. That there is nothing you have done. There is nothing you can do. That he will knock you down, sit on top of you, and make you take your medicine if that's what need be. Because he loves you. He cares about you. And so the question for you today is what do you do? Where do you go with this? How do you show this kind of grace to people in your life? And here's the other thing. Some of you came in here today in the middle of a storm, in the middle of just craziness, and the storm of life has hit you, and it's either health or it's finances. Maybe it's a relationship with a spouse, but the storm is all around you. You're not sleeping in this storm. You're awake. You're scared. You don't know what to do. You're anxious. In every storm, there is a fish. In every storm, God has sent his son and given you grace. 
Every storm is meant to wake you up to the reality of who he is and what he has for you. So maybe this morning you are here to say, God, in the middle of my storm, what am I supposed to be doing? Help me. Help me to see grace. Help me to extend grace. Help me to give grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it today. This is what God wants for us. Fast, pray, and then go. Go and do it. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll take communion here. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and, and we just... Help. Help us to understand this concept of grace. Help us to understand the cross to what you're calling us to do, to how you're calling us to love people. An irresistible grace is what it's been described as. Irresistible grace. Lord, open blind eyes in this place today. Open hard hearts, Lord, in this place today. In Jesus' name. We're going we're gonna to take communion here and I'll call the ushers forward. And How we do communion is we have three stations up front and three in the back. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake of it. If you don't, we invite you to uh, talk with one of our prayer partners. You can stay in your seat. But we want you to take a moment and, and examine your heart. That's what Christ said. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as Christ was with his disciples in that upper room, as he sat with the men who would betray him, as he sat with men who would deny him, who would run and scatter when he was arrested, all he had was a father's heart for them and to delight in them. And so he gave them the Lord's Supper. He gave them communion. And he said, this is my body as he took the bread and this is my blood as he took the juice. Take this and do this in remembrance of me that you won't forget what I have done here today. You won't forget the grace that has been poured out upon you because I delight in you. God delights in you. I heard that this week in a podcast that I loved. It was the guy who played the young man in that movie, uh, The Heart of Man. And in it he said, often God, Christians think God is just there to use them. And God is here to delight you. He doesn't see you as a tool that is just to be used and placed where it needs to be placed. He sees you as his child and he wants to delight in you. He wants you to give you work that you will enjoy doing for the kingdom. So as you prepare your hearts here for communion now, just think about that. If you wish to come forward, we have prayer partners who will be up front here. If you have a storm going on that feels like it's too big to get through, come up, tell us about it, let's pray. Walk through it with somebody else. You're not alone in this. Heavenly Father, bless this bread and this juice now as we partake of communion together. May your Son, Jesus Christ, be forever glorified in this place and this world. In that name we pray and God's people said, amen. Go ahead and get up and go to the station now and then we'll close in worship together.